Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I said three or four people. You guys violated that, but... That's okay. I guess you got some stuff to get off your chest. Um, before we get into 1 Timothy 3 this morning, next week we're going to take a very brief, I believe very brief, break from this series. We're just going to take a week off and uh, look at a different topic. I went into 2020, I had a sermon rattling around in the back of my head called How to Be a Christian in an Election Year. Because I thought the election would be the most important thing to happen in 2020. Turns out there's a few other things. So we're going to call this sermon, How to Be a Christian in 2020. (laughs) Uh, Because, I don't know if you realize this, even after all we've been through, we still have a, as it relates to George Floyd, we still have a trial that we have to observe and a verdict that's going to come. We still have a potential second wave of the coronavirus, although I'm hoping that that's not going to be a reality. We still have an election this year. Uh, So we got some stuff ahead of us. I want us to be prepared for those things. So that's going to be next Sunday. We're going to be talking about how to be a (laughs) pretty, pretty low bar, how to just stay saved or be a Christian in 2020, okay? But today we're going to continue in our series in 1 Timothy going to be in chapter 3 as well as a few other places in the New Testament. The primary idea that we're going to be exploring this morning is the, the position, role, function, and office of a deacon. Can everybody say deacon? Okay. We're going to be looking at that. Last week we looked at uh, elders and the role and position and function and office of an elder. And this morning we're going to look at deacons. So I want to tell you really quickly about the first deacon that I ever heard of. Uh, When I was a kid, this would have been in like the late 80s, uh, my family didn't go to church very often, so I didn't know what an elder or a deacon or any of those things were, but uh, there was a deacon named Ernest Fry. Anyone ever, he was from Philadelphia actually, First Community Church of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Deacon Ernest Fry. I actually have a picture of him that I'm going to throw up on the screen there. You fam- anyone remember Deacon Ernest Fry? That is not George Jefferson, all right? I mean, it is the same actor, but Deacon Ernest Fry on the show Amen. I vaguely remember as a kid catching a few episodes of Amen uh, if I was up late or something like that. And uh, this is Sherman Hemsley, and he played Deacon Ernest Fry. And uh, a lot of my sermon prep this week was just watching old episodes of Amen. Very scholarly. Deacon Ernest Fry, he's actually a pretty funny guy. Not the best example of a deacon, actually, Uh, but he had a daughter named Thelma, and Thelma fell in love with the pastor of the church, and they got married, and it made for all sorts of funny plot lines and stuff. And uh, uh, Ernest Fry, Deacon Ernest Fry, was also a lawyer, and for some reason their church was always getting sued, so he was the lawyer that defended the church, and it's kind of a funny show, but it went off the air in 1991, uh, and uh, that's the first exposure I had to a deacon, what a deacon is. 
Um, as, we, <laughs> as we look through the New Testament, we're going to find that there are some minor discrepancies uh, about how uh, deacons function in the New Testament, but nonetheless, uh, I thought that this would be a fun memory to revisit as uh, Deacon Ernest Fry. And the fact that it took place in Philadelphia I thought was funny, or cool actually. Uh, the church that's featured in the theme song of Amen is Mount Pisgah AME here in Philadelphia. It's actually a church in Philadelphia. I didn't know Sherman Hemsley was from Philly, but now that I know that, I definitely understand why George Jefferson walked the way that he walked, because that is very, that is very Philadelphian. All right. So, all right. Um, I want to start off, we're going to look at the deacons, or what we call the diaconate. There's a big word for you that you can throw out around Christmas time uh, with your family. The diaconate, okay? Which is the, the team or board or group of deacons. <coughs> we're going to look at the diaconate from three perspectives. We're going to look at the duties of deacons. We're going to look at the qualities of deacons. And then we're going to look at two specific deacons from the New Testament and how they functioned, how they did their job. So there's kind of some uh, descriptive passage as passages as well as some prescriptive passages. So we get the idea of a team of people called deacons from Acts chapter 6. The first four verses focuses in on this. And I just want to tell you a little bit about how the diaconate was born. So I believe this will be uh, on the screen for those watching at home. It may be for us here. It is. Great. I'm still getting used to this. So Acts chapter 6. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So let me stop right there and just put some context to this. At this point, the church is growing. It's probably over 5,000 people. This is early, early, early. I mean, the church is only five years old probably at this point. It's about 5,000 people. You have the apostles. The apostles primarily, they're going, they're teaching the Bible, they're praying, they're doing miracles, things like that. But they also have this little program in their church now where they distribute food to widows. Well, the food was not getting distributed equitably, and it says a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. These are Jewish people that grew up in Greece, not Israel, okay? So they were Jewish, uh, but they were Greek. They spoke Greek. They, this is essentially a different ethnic group or a different social group. Uh, and the complaint was against the native Hebrews. So you have the Greek converts to Judaism complaining against the native Hebrews. I don't know if you're picking up the, the racial tension that exists in this passage. Who's getting more food? The native Jewish people. They're getting more food and who's distributing the food? The Jewish apostles. The Jewish apostles are distributing food, and the people that are getting it are the same race as them. But there's this other group that's of the same faith but a different race. They're being neglected in the distribution of food. So the 12 apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples, and they said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we, we may put in charge of this task. So the apostles have this, you know, great idea. Listen, it, I can almost read between the lines like, we get it. We're not doing this as effectively as possible. 
We're not even supposed to be doing this. It's not desirable for us to be distributing food when we should be uh, studying the word and praying with people. But obviously this is a legitimate need, so we're gonna equip more leaders to do this type of thing. Rather than saying, fine, call it all off, cancel it, shut it down, or rather than saying, stop your complaining, suck it up, they just equip more leaders. They just put more people into leadership to meet that need. Uh, so it's a valid need. They want to meet that need. I think the apostles understand we're dropping the ball a little bit on this. And so uh, they said, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then this will not be on the screen, but it continues. This statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So here's what the, the apostles decide. Listen, our main job is the, the ministry of the word and prayer. That's what God has called us to do. That's our role. But there are these other valid, legitimate needs that need to be met, and we need to equip more leaders to meet those needs. And so they say, let's select seven people who are gonna meet that need. Now, this is not necessarily relative to what it is to be a deacon, but just something that's helpful from this passage. Those seven names, remember I, I mentioned to you, the issue is one ethnic group is being totally overlooked. It's the Greeks. They're not the Greek, the older Greek women, the widows, the, no one's, looking out for them, they're not distributing the food to them, they're missing out. Every name that's appointed, all seven of these names are Greek names, which means that not only did they empower more leaders, they made sure that the group that was being neglected now had representatives in leadership. So now the church's leadership team is not exclusively Hebrews, it's Hebrews and Greeks. This is the first ch time in church history, really, that the church had a diverse leadership team. And they made sure that those who were overlooked and neglected were now represented in leadership, and they went all in on it because all seven of these guys have Greek names. Does that make sense? So they're making sure no one's getting overlooked. We don't have any blind spots. We're covering all our bases. We don't want anyone to get neglected, so we're going to have a diverse leadership team so that we can keep these things in mind. Now, Acts chapter 6 actually gives us a lot of insight into the duties of deacons. Uh, it seems clear to me that from verses 2 and 4 that uh, it says, uh, the apostle said, it's not good for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So right off the bat, the whole reason that the diaconate came into existence was to free up the apostles, or for us, the elders, to dedicate the majority of their time to the ministry of the word and to prayer. The deacons throughout the New Testament, whether it's in Acts 6 or 1 Timothy 3, or we're going to look at a passage in Romans 16, primarily what deacons do are what we're going to call acts of benevolence. The word benevolent just means kind or good, goodwill. Uh, think of mercy. The deacons are primarily put in place to carry out acts of benevolence in Acts chapter 6. So, most clearly from this passage, the distribution of food. Uh, but I think with that would be the distribution of money. 
Uh, also, visitation, like visiting those that are sick, and the distribution of any other resources that a congregation may have. So here it's um, food, but if there's a benevolent gift, a financial gift for a person that's having a hard time financially, the deacons would have most likely overseen that as well. Uh, visitation of those that are sick is something that we put in as a deacon responsibility. So acts of benevolence, acts of kindness. Uh, that's why your elders don't need to be kind. Just kidding, that's a joke. Your elders should be kind. You, you know, elders can participate in all of these things, but the, the diaconate or the group of deacons are really the people that drive this right here. Uh, in this particular passage, each deacon is a rep representative of the, of the neglected minority. Now, in this passage, all seven of them are men, but as we're going to find out, we're going to look at this scripturally, there are, in the New Testament, female deacons. Now, there's a uh, Roman historian, I love these weird names, named Pliny the Younger. You guys know Pliny the Younger? Not to be confused with Pliny the Elder, okay? That's their real names. Pliny the Younger actually wrote to emperor, the Emperor Trajan about female deacons in the church as early as about 100 AD. So within the first century, beginning of the second century, there were already female deacons in the church, and they are recorded in history that they did exist that early in the church. But we're going to actually find one that is even earlier than that because she's mentioned in the Bible by name. <clears throat> so that, that is the duty of a deacon. It's, it's the benevolent acts. It's, it's showing kindness. It's showing compassion. It's showing mercy, and then also fixing stuff at the church, which we just tack, we just tack on. Sorry, Jason and others. Um, so let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is, you know, this is really where we're picking up here today. This is the primary passage that we want to look at. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, tell us about the qualities of the deacon. This passage doesn't really tell us so much about what they do. It tells us what type of person they should be, what type of person should be put into this ministry. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So this tells us about the quality of the deacons. I just want to kind of go through this line by line because there's, there's some qualifications or qualities that relate to men, but then there's some different ones that relate to women, although there's a ton of overlap. I would say it's approximately 90% overlap here of how they relate. Before I go through the qualities, okay, this passage, based on the translation I'm reading it in, the translation I teach you, makes it clear in verse 11, women must likewise be. It, it opens up the door for women to serve as deacons. Now, this is one of the rare occasions where the translation of the Bible that you read is important. 
because some translations will say, not women, but it will say, their wives. Meaning, here are the qualifications of the wife of a deacon, not a female deacon. Does that make, do you understand the difference between those two things? It's kind of like, if you were to read their wives, it sounds like it's saying, well, not female deacons, but the wives of a male deacon. Whereas here, it reads women. Now, I'm just going to tell you, in Greek, the word for wife and woman is the same word. It could go either way. Why do I use the passage that says women? First of, first of all, uh, I think that when a word means two things, you should go with the broader translation, right? Rather than restrict things, leave it open, right? And let us, we'll figure out what, how to apply it, but if, don't tell me how to interpret it, translate it. Does that make sense? Secondly, in verse, uh, in verse 8, it says deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Okay, the word for men could be husbands, but we don't say husband in verse 8. We say men. So if we're going to be consistent, we should say woman in verse 11, not wife. We shouldn't go men and wife. We should go men and women or husband and wife. Does that make sense? Like, let's be consistent about the way we translate it, right? Furthermore, if you have a translation that says their wives, the word there is not in the Greek. It's inserted. It's implied. There's nothing about whose wife it is or who's the, who the wife belongs to. Does that make sense? So, you know, I love talking about nerdy stuff like this. Um, the version of the Bible that we, I preach from on Sunday mornings is the New American Standard. It's the most accurate English translation. And I figure if you're going to get into stuff like this that's a little sticky, you might as, go, might as well go with the most accurate one, right? Furthermore, we actually read about a female deacon named Phoebe in Romans 16, which we're going to look at later. So we know that Phoebe was a female deacon, so we should understand that the, even the Bible has female deacons in it. And so everyone cool with that? I mean, I don't care if you are, because that's what it says. But uh, underst- do you un- By cool, I mean, do you understand the rationale that I'm presenting, not whether you like it or not? Okay. Now here are the qualities of the deacons. Number one, they should be dignified. This means that they are honorable. Are you able to honor them? Are they able to easily be honored? Or is it really hard to show honor to that person because of how sketchy and shady they are? They should be dignified. They should be honorable. Not double-tongued. It says in uh, verse 8, not double-tongued. I think we all know what double-tongued means. In Philly, we would say they don't speak out of both sides of their mouth, right? They don't say one thing to this person and another thing to that person, but they're consistent in how they speak to people. They have one story, and they stick to it. Uh, Continuing in verse 8, they are not addicted to much wine, so they're not struggling with alcoholism. They're not drunk. They are sober. And that would, I think, apply to all substances, not just alcohol, but uh, they are not... Uh, under the influence of narcotics. They're not uh, dealing with that. They're sober. They're clear-minded. They're not fond of sordid gain. What that means is they're not obsessed with, they're not greedy. They're not obsessed with money. They're not shady in such a way that they're trying to um, always line their pockets. Uh, I was in my sermon preparation, I was studying uh, an episode of Amen, 
And uh, Bishop, uh, Deacon Fry had a plumber come in, and uh, he paid the plumber $15 a day. Holy smokes, I guess a lot has changed since the 80s. $15 a day. And the plumber was Cuba Gooding Jr., who is worth way more than that. So, uh, so <laughs> I'm still thinking about Cuba Gooding Jr. hitting on Thelma, and I'm just like not thinking about this passage. All right. Uh, further, deacons should have a firm grasp on the faith. It says uh, that they should hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It means they have to have a grasp of our faith. They have to understand. So while deacons don't have to have the ability to teach, they do need to have the ability to understand. They should have a solid grasp of what it means to be a Christian. They should have a solid grasp of the gospel. They should have a solid grasp of the Bible. They can't be confused about things. Uh, I mean, basic things. They can't be like, yeah, I'm not so sure. The Bible's an interesting book, you know. Maybe, maybe God inspired it. Who knows? That's not the kind of thing that should come out of the mouth of a deacon, you know. Who knows how a person could be saved? Maybe Jesus is the only way. Who really knows? That is not the kind of thing, that, that is not holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That is not having a firm grasp on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So deacons should have a solid, solid faith. In fact, if you remember in Acts 6 when they appointed them, what were some of the qualifications? They had to be men with good reputations who were filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you thought about this, but apparently you need the Holy Spirit to distribute food. Apparently that is a little more complicated than you would think. And so this is, an actual, this is a spiritual qualification. This, it's necessary that they understand what it means to follow Jesus closely. And uh, it says that they should be tested. Verse 10, these men also first must be tested. So there should be some sort of evaluation process that takes place. I don't think you need to quiz them, you know, do a Bible trivia test or anything like that. But like an elder who should not be a new convert who's thrust into leadership, deacons also should be tested. Testing takes place over time. You make sure that their character is solid, that they really are uh, following Jesus. Then if, they, uh, if the test reveals their character is Christ-like, let them serve as deacons if they're beyond reproach. Then it directs this uh, toward the women. In verse 11, we make a slight change. We're addressing the women here, female deacons, or as I would call them, deaconesses. They must be likewise, uh, must likewise be dignified. Okay, just like the men, right? They should be dignified. They should have dignity, be honorable. They should not be malicious gossips because, listen, they're going to they're gonna get into people's business. They're going to hear stuff, and they can't be gossiping about it, okay? They need to uh, be able to, keep things in confidence and not gossip about people's business. Temperate is the same thing as not, addict, not addicted to much wine, and they should be faithful in all things. This is relating specifically to the lady deacons or deaconesses. They should have one spouse. I believe that applies to both men and women. We addressed that last week with the elders. This means the same thing. And finally, they should be good managers of their household. That applies to both the men and the women as well. And that is also like what we talked about last week with the elders. They need to uh, be able to lead their homes and their households as well to the best of their ability. So these are the qualities 
of a deacon. In verse 13, it says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. To serve in this role is an honorable thing. It's something that Jesus values. It's something that I believe Jesus even rewards. Uh, and so this is, a, it is an important role in the life of a local church, and I believe every local church should have a qualified team of deacons, both men and women. Uh, I mean, just look at what we've looked at first. Acts chapter 16 makes it clear that deacons should be ethnically diverse, representing the congregation. This passage makes it de- clear that women... Are, it's important for women to serve in this role. I mean, this is very open to qualified people in the congregation. Now, to help us understand exactly how deacons function and what they were like, I want to look at two deacons specifically in the New Testament. The first deacon, who is a man named Stephen, and then later we're going to look at a woman named Phoebe from Romans six, uh, 16. So I read from Acts 6 about this situation they had distributing food, right? And they needed to uh, appoint someone, appoint a team of people to serve as deacons, and they appoint these seven men. And the first one that they name in verse 8 of Acts 6 is Stephen, who was full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, Stephen is really impressive to me. Stephen is both, in the Bible, the first deacon and the first martyr. He performed signs and wonders, and he confounded Jewish experts with his ability to reason and present the faith. Stephen was an impressive, impressive guy. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is sharing the gospel with people, and uh, a lot of the religious leaders actually had a problem with how clearly he was sharing the gospel because he was turning people to Jesus. And they grabbed him, and Acts chapter 7 is a long speech given by Stephen. Uh, He goes back to the book of Exodus even and uh, tells the whole story of the gospel from Exodus up until the current point. And he does it so well that he frustrates the religious leaders and they decide they're going to kill him. And so they beat him, and then they drag him outside of the city, and they start to stone him. In Acts chapter 7, verse 59, it says, They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's the same thing Jesus said on the cross. Then falling on his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, what Jesus said on the cross. Having said this, he fell asleep or he died. Now, it says uh, in verse 56, Stephen Stephen says this, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I've said this about, I don't know, 50 times here at True Vine, but all throughout the Bible we see Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, right? We've read this in Ephesians recently. Jesus is seated at the right hand, seated at the right hand, seated at the right hand. What does Stephen see as he's about to be martyred? Jesus standing at the right hand. At this point, Jesus has gotten up on his feet to observe Stephen's martyrdom. I mean, to me, that sounds like a standing ovation. For Jesus to actually stand and honor the way Stephen sacrificed himself. So listen, I bet Stephen distributed the best food. And I bet he did it with a smile on his face and full of the Holy Spirit and he loved people. 
but he also understood the gospel so clearly that he was able to share the gospel with people. He also was able to perform miracles and signs and wonders. He also was a martyr, like he gave his life for the Lord. This is the first deacon in the New Testament. There's also, in Romans 16, I love this, there's a woman named Phoebe. It's, it's kind of this obscure passage at the end of the book of Romans. If you, go to, if you have a Bible, go to Romans 16. Just the first two verses. Really quickly, the way that the Apostle Paul and other people would distribute their writings was that they would, they would either write it themselves or they would dictate it and someone else would write it. And then someone had to deliver it. Someone had to deliver a scroll. So someone had to deliver the book of Romans. And generally, it was understood that whoever delivered it, whoever brought the scroll to the church, was also then uh, deputized or expected to explain any questions there might, they might have about the book. So you're going to deliver it, and listen, I've told you, like, well, here's what I meant by this, and here's what I meant by that. So if they have any questions, here's how I want you to answer these questions. Who was it that delivered the book of Romans? Well, verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 say this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Sencre, that's in Corinth, for those of you that are interested, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever, manner, whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So look at this woman, Phoebe. He describes her repeatedly as a helper. In fact, she's such a helper that he's saying she deserves your help because she's proven herself to be a trust, trustworthy helper. Now, you'd be reading this passage and say, like, I don't see the word deacon in there. Uh, in verse 1, the word servant in Greek is diakonos. So the word deacon just means one who serves. It's a person with a heart of a servant and the attitude of a servant. So Phoebe is called a People will say, well, how do we know it means, actually means deacon? How, maybe it just generically means servant. Every scholar I read this week says, no, she was a deacon. She had the office and the position and the title of deacon in a church in Corinth, and she had this role. Paul entrusted her so much that he gave her the book of Romans, and she delivered it to the church in Rome. She's the one that carried it. And when she handed it over... She said, any questions? And they had to ask her to further, most likely, she was the one that they had to ask to explain it. We don't actually know that, but if it was a man delivering it, that's what would have happened. So we anticipate that that's probably what the expectation was on Phoebe. Can you help us understand Romans? Can you, what did Paul mean when he said this? What did Paul mean when he said that? Because she knew Paul, and she was working for Paul, delivering the book of Romans. That's a pretty... Uh, important task, don't you think? That she had the, the character that made her trustworthy enough to deliver the entire book of Romans, and she was his representative. Probably haven't heard that too much, I bet, right? Okay, well, now you have. So, Stephen and Phoebe are actual illustrations of what it meant to serve in that role in the New Testament. Those of you that have spiritual gifts like mercy or helps, or generosity, very well might be called to serve in this, in this way at some point in your life. I mean, if you're the kind of person that has compassion and mercy for people, 
If you're the kind of person that likes to help, you see a, a need or a gap and you just, even if it's not something that you feel good at, you jump in to fill that need, to bridge a gap. If you're the kind of person that is gifted in administration, like maybe you could organize a ministry like just the distribution of food or money or something like that, there's a pretty good chance that maybe you're the kind of person that God has said, I, I think you're, you need to serve as a deacon at some point. And even when you don't have the title, do the stuff. You know what I mean? So this is such a, it's, it's a foundational role. You know, there's only two, I hate to say it, but this is the way, that, there's only two titles in the church in the New Testament, elders and deacons. You know, we have like thousands of different titles that churches distribute to people nowadays. It's, it's elders and deacons. You might, you know, well, what about bishop? Bishop is an elder. What about trustee? Trustee is a deacon. They all go back to one of those two things. It's either deacon or elder. Those are the two positions or offices that are instituted in the New Testament church. All, everything else is just our us slapping another word on a biblical role. So, if you have gifts like mercy, helps, generosity, administration, you may be called to that type of ministry. I want to take a minute and just kind of review the role that our deacons have played in the life of our church. So over the years, we've had a, a, hand, uh, a handful of qualified uh, head deacons. I think our first head deacon was a man named Dwayne Eretz. I believe he was the first one. And then Kervin Candio served for a while. Then Jason Davis was our head deacon. Then Mike Sharkey was our head deacon. And now Jason got sucked into it a second time somehow. So, you know, like... We've had a really good string of head deacons, and those head deacons appoint additional deacons to serve with them on that team. We call them the deacon team, but if I really was trying to like get a raise, I'd call it the diaconate, all right? Uh, so our deacon team does things like distributes money. So Andrew Gordon is one of our deacons. He oversees our benevolence fund. If, if you need some financial help, our deacons oversee that. Andrew takes a, a little application just to make sure that we're stewarding the money well, and he distributes that uh, money. Um, we have deacons that distribute f food. If you, if you are sick or in the hospital or had a baby or something like that, we will distribute food uh, to you if you need that. Our deacons oversee that type of thing. Our deacons oversee our facilities. Basically, our deacons help manage all of our hard resources. I mean, we have deacons that oversee our money. We have deacons that oversee our buildings. We have deacons that even help oversee our staff to make sure we're not being lazy. You know, they do all of that stuff. So uh, Jason Davis is our head deacon. He has done an excellent job with our building. A lot of the stuff that I'm standing on or near right now, Jason played a huge role in putting together. Uh, he actually wove this carpet in his garage. No, no, no. Okay, he didn't do that. But he built this drum booth. Uh, did, really, during, when we were shut down for three months, Jason was here probably more than I was. And if Jason wasn't here, you know who was here? Becky. Becky runs our food pantry, our food distribution. And we have, uh, our food distribution is almost off the charts, literally. I, we have a chart of our food distribution that we're going to throw up uh, on the screen See that one that's off the chart? It's off the chart. That's since the, since the 
coronavirus pandemic has started, that's how we've been distributing food. It's, it's way, way up there. Uh, in 2014 was the first year that we started tracking how much food we distributed. In 2014, in the whole year, we distributed almost 6,000 pounds of food. Last month, we distributed 4,000 pounds alone in one month. I mean, we're on pace. Last year, which is in purple, 2019, last year was by far the most food we had ever distributed. Like, we didn't even know how we were going to do it. We're on pace to double that this year. In a large part because this coronavirus thing has created a need. But Becky and a team of other people, uh, I'm going to name some of them, but if I forget you, I'm sorry. Maybe, Becky, you can help me so I don't get angry emails. But I know that during during this shutdown, uh, like Lisa Serrano and Val Todd and Stephen, and under normal circumstances, we have people like Debbie Cicchetti and Cheryl Sindone and Margaret Candio. Who am I forgetting? Danielle. We, okay, so oh, we, right, we have people even coming in that aren't part of our church to help. So if I didn't remember you, I'm sorry, I apologize. Send an email to May. She'll handle that. But we, we've, the, the food distribution thing has been incredible for years, but really over the last 90 days, as you can see, it's really taken off. But that fits perfectly in line with what biblical deacons would be doing. So really quickly, here are our current deacons. Both Jason and Becky Davis are deacons. Both Mike and Loretta Sharkey are deacons. Okay, you know who prepares our communion every, every month when we serve communion? Loretta and Anna Wakeman. Anna's another one of our deacons. They come and I, they treat that like a ministry. Anna bakes the bread. Did you guys know that? She bakes the bread at home. She doesn't buy it. She bakes it. And uh, she makes that, and they pray over the bread and the cup, and they treat it like a ministry, not a chore. And so when we go into communion, I want you to know it's already been prayed over and prepared with care. Uh, Ross Sharkey is another one of our deacons. Ross and Jason were on the world's largest ladder mounting that projector uh, not too long ago. Ross was a big part of getting our building painted, both upstairs and downstairs. I mentioned you know, his, his dad, Mike, was a big part of that as well. Dan McCurdy is one of our uh, visitation and food distribution people. Dan has this relationship with food that's probably a little unhealthy. Uh, he loves to cook and host. He likes people to be fed. Hopefully he's watching right now. Uh, uh, so, and Anna and Andrew, and we've had other people serve in the, the deacon role in the past that have done a really, really good job. We've always had a good team of deacons, and I appreciate that. But the, the main point I want to make is this is a necessary function of a New Testament church, of a biblical church, is you have to have qualified folks full of the Spirit that serve in these roles. When you do that, it allows the elders to function in their role, and it allows us to have a a role of compassion in our community, both inside the church and outside of the church. It's really necessary to have these. I've been thinking about how, how to illustrate the relationship between deacons and elders, and the, this is not a perfect illustration, but I think it will help you understand. It's a little bit like the cooks and the wait staff in a diner or a restaurant. The elders are kind of, their job is preparation a lot, preparing the ministry of the word, getting a recipe together, 
designing the menu, that kind of thing. But without the wait staff, which, you know, di distributing things, without the wait staff meeting the people, being with the people, uh, the, the cooks are useless, you know. And so it's a little bit like that. Bo equal parts but different roles, and both are absolutely necessary for things to function. And so I just... I want to bless our deacons and encourage them, and I know that there are other people who are going to be called into that ministry someday, and uh, you know, it's a valuable, valuable ministry in any New Testament church, and churches need to value those who serve in that role. So really quickly, I want to pray for all of our deacons, and I want to thank God for what he's done through our food pantry and our other ministries. So would you mind standing with me? And if you're at home, you can do whatever you want. You've probably been doing whatever you want for the last hour and a half. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for men and women that you have called into this role to serve as deacons and deaconesses. We see them as ministers that you've appointed who should reflect your character, should understand the gospel and the Bible, will serve in humility and will help lead our congregation in ways to be good stewards of our resources as well as engage our community. We bless our deacons. We pray for your protection over their families. We ask for creative ways to meet needs that are practical. And I ask that you would raise up even more in the future uh, qualified men and women to serve in this role. I pray that Jesus in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.